Hi everyone, it's Lisa Gregg. Let's highlight real. In this week's episode, I sit down with Katie Jameson. Katie is so many things. She's a mama, she's a wife, she's a creator, and she truly is a teacher for all of life's hard things. In this episode, we started off talking about grief and that led us down the path of advocacy and ableism. I hope that you take away from this conversation even just a fraction of everything that I learned, and I'm so grateful for the time and the wisdom of this conversation with Katie. Okay. I will. I will lead them there um, with more than breadcrumbs, like with direct links, because I think everyone needs to be following you. Um, but I, I just want to start off with, like, tell me. I want to know who you are, and like I said, not just. I want the surface, like you know, like the thirty-second elevator pitch that we give everyone. Um, but I'm going to go deeper than that too, because I think there's so much more to unpack. So I think I just want to start off with, you know, tell me, tell us who who is Katie. <laughs> Who is Katie? Um, I I feel like this is a really um, intriguing question. It's a very simple question, but then at the same time, after the year that we just had, it's a really interesting question. Yeah. Um, because I think who I am is changing, which is really exciting for me because for a really long time, it felt like who I was was a really sad person. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think there's a lot of versions of me that I'm trying to lean into. I'm a mom, obviously. Um, I'm a writer. I'm a photographer. I like to create things. Um, I think even though what happened for me during the pandemic was I did not gain time, I feel like I saw a lot of families who were able to take a step back um, and have some more time with their kids and have some more time to reflect on who they are. For me and my husband and our family, it was the opposite. Um, Because of the businesses that we own, we had to double down. Um, We had to let staff go and do more of the work ourselves. Yeah. Um, So this has, this past year really turned into a year of discovering how hard we could work and yet how much we could uncover of who we are through all of that. And I think we did a really good job this past year of really peeling back some layers as everyone did. I think everyone has made space whether they wanted to or not for finding out who they are inside. Um, But I think for me, I really started leaning into the fact that there is no black and white. There is no this or that. Um, I've really discovered that I can be a creative person. I can write and I can photograph and I can create ways to support people through grief. And I can be a mom who makes lunches and does the dishes and changes dirty diapers Um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it feels like I've been able to lean into, I can be both. Yeah. I think giving yourself that permission is just like giving yourself so much power. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Being both. Um, 
you know, and I think, like you said, leaning into the difficult things, because I think instinctively and just so much of what we're taught is to like pull away. Oh, this is uncomfortable. That's, you know, don't go there. And, um, leaning in, like there's so many lessons in leaning in. I think so. And I think also that comes with time. Like if somebody's listening to this and they're a newly bereaved parent or they're very new to grief, this ideology will not make sense. No. Um, because I didn't get to a place where I could creatively think about my grief for a really long time. My grief was one thing and it was heartbreaking. And that was it. It was heavy and it was heartbreaking. And it feels like in the last year, I've been able to step away and through the lens of storytelling for myself, I've been able to piece together the story that is my motherhood and the story that is raising a child with special needs and the story that is mothering a child that isn't on earth. Yeah. I've been able to reflect on that in different ways. And for me, that storytelling for me, it's writing um, is how I've been able to sort of come to terms and pull the edges back together for myself. But it took a really long time for me to get here. Right. And I think though, that's like so essential that you pulled that out because you're right. I think everybody is going to be in a different place in their journey, no matter what it entails. And I think so often we're looking to see ourselves in somebody, or we just want to know that we're normal or that we're going to be okay. And when we can't relate to something in a hard moment of our life, we get very defensive very quickly. And that's okay too. Oh, right. Like I find that like when we can't relate or we are questioning ourselves, it's like just the defense goes up and the attack and, and the insecurities come out. And, you know, if there's any field that I'm like, be kind to yourself, it's, it's to our grieving hearts. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I've even felt myself, um, I felt myself get combative and comparative in my grief with other people. It's, it's intuitive. It's just going to happen. It's part of grieving. It's part of the process. I think you can't move from one stumbling block to the next until you can recognize that you're doing those things. And it doesn't matter how long that takes you to recognize. I was so angry for so long. I'm still angry. I still have days yesterday. I was very angry yesterday. It just happens. The only difference now is that I have found a way to reflect on it. I found a way to channel it outward instead of keeping everything inward. Wow. And like, and Katie, have you ever, your words are just like, and I mean, I I see it in the comments, right? I, I see the relatability in the comments and I find that it just gives such language to a, a feeling that doesn't often have words. Oh, and so, thank you so much. You're welcome. Cause I, I, you know, I'm not a bereaved mother and I hope that I'll never be. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> I hope that too. Yeah. Right. That that's the hope. That's the club that nobody wants to be a part of. And it's like, but reading those words, it's like, I can just like feel it. And I could empathize that somebody who's in the throes of their new grief is like, Oh, that's how I feel. 
I thank you for that. I have, um, my writing has not always sounded the way that it sounds today, uh, which I think is, that's very obvious. Of course, my writing is reflective of where I'm at in my stage of grieving. Um, when Lachlan first passed away and I was just starting to dabble with showing my grief outwardly. Um, and for me, that was on the social media platform, writing, sharing stories, because that's what felt safe to me. I couldn't have those conversations with somebody in person, but it felt safer to put it online where I could say it and I could hope that people would see it and then maybe understand where I was at. But in my very early stages of grief, those words that I wrote were very desperately sad and unrelatable to so many people. And it's so heartbreaking that at a time when you need relatability the most is when people can relate with you the least. Right. People cannot understand those early stages of acute grief, which is why I think it's so important, even as I step away from it, Lachlan is coming, we're coming up to Lachlan's seventh birthday. We're coming up to seven years of, of me having him. And there are days when I wonder, oh, is this relevant for me to talk about anymore? Because I'm not in the throes of that sharp pain. I'm not dealing with that breathlessness anymore. But I think that it is relevant for me to talk about because it's so hard to articulate that pain in a graceful way when you're in it. Yeah. But if you can reflect back on it and you can provide words for someone who is in it to read and sort of maybe lay a trail of how they might get out of it. Yeah. You know, that's really hopeful. Yeah. And I really try in my writing, I try to articulate the mundane moments of my day the most which I think is what's relatable. The moments that are so easy to pass over because you're looking for meaning. Um, but those like simple, boring, mundane moments are the ones where I'm finding my story. Yeah. They're the ones where I'm discovering it's the best way for me to bring normalcy to grief. Yeah. I I couldn't agree with you more because like even in my experience in supporting people in grief and providing therapy, it was, it was, you know, the, the birthdays are always hard, but they're expected and they come and they're planned for. And the support system you have gather around, or they just acknowledge that day and, and you get to say his name, but it's the days like yesterday when you're at the grocery store. Yeah. You know, or when you drive by a school and you see what looks like a group of seven-year-olds. Yeah. And it, it's those moments that, yeah, take your breath away that no one's there to catch you when you fall. Absolutely. And it can't really be, I've learned that it can't be expected that your friends and your loved ones will pick up on that always. Right. That's, that's impossible for them to always know. It is. It's not it, for even my husband, you know, yesterday when I got home from the grocery store and I was very angry because something had triggered me and he didn't know. He thought I was just in a bad mood. It, it can't always be that people can just inherently know that these triggers are happening or that you're having these days. 
which is, again, why I think it's so important that there are so many people talking about grief now (sighs) that parents and mothers and siblings and people who are supporting people in grief can turn to these platforms and say, okay, this person I'm supporting is so angry. What is happening? And there's words there to help work you through that. Right. And I think like, you know, as shit as this year has been, like, let's not, you know, I will, I will not silver lining things. Like it's a huge downer, huge downer, you know, like it's dumpster (laughs) fire. Um, you know, but it's always like, I always try to reflect on, okay, are there some gains that I can take with me? What, like, what do I want to hold on to? And what do I want to like leave as far behind as I can? And it's kind of about like, you look at the virtual platforms now and, you know, as disconnected as we all have become, because we can't have that face-to-face time, the connection of like these support groups and allowing platforms for people to tell their stories. And, you know, people who live in like rural communities who... Don't even get these groups to attend if they find them helpful, can now get behind their keyboard where maybe they feel more safe and control whether their camera's on or off and mm-hmm. listen to stories because I think healing is in the stories. I think so. You know? And so yeah. I I hope that continues in this new world. I think it will. And I've I've seen it as well in the Down syndrome community. Okay. There are so many platforms and groups and parent groups and support groups and places to ask questions online that I found since having Kenzie that I would never have had access to this kind of support and these kinds of answers in any other time. It's just been, it's, it's really, it's life-saving. And I think that's a lot of what collectively people are leaning into are these online friendships and these online groups, um, which are really providing support in a way that seems strange because we're not seeing each other in person and and we're not physically tangibly supporting each other. But for some reason, it feels just as wonderful it feels just as good to know that I have this online community where I can ask questions and they understand where I'm coming from. They understand what I'm going through. Right. And for the general public, I think there just continues to be this like increased level of education and awareness that is desperately needed mm-hmm. in grief, but also like you said, in in the world of, of Down syndrome, like more like we need to have more more voices more advocacy and I'm noticing that more around me yeah yeah I think people I mean this year especially again because this is the way that we can communicate people are getting more vocal online um people are sharing more information there's obviously negatives to that as well you know like there's it's always going to be a double-edged sword we're always going to have to do the work and filter out what we don't hold valuable to ourselves. Yeah. Um, but I think for the most part, it's been really positive. Like, so I guess my next question then Katie is like, how do you, how do you keep yourself safe in all of this? Because you are so vulnerable in the best way where like we get to see inside your life as a, a grieving mama who is the most incredible advocate for Down syndrome. I like, I love Kenzie and I have never, like, she's just, she is the unicorn of my world. She's the best. <laughs> she's, she, she actually is like the best. And, um, 
you know, how do you, how do you keep yourself safe? Because the internet is mean. I was talking to my husband about this the other day. Um, and I don't know, I, I don't know what I've done differently or how I've arranged things around myself, but the space that I've created on Instagram has only ever been kind and welcoming. I don't know why that's different for me um, as compared to other spaces. It's I'm dumbfounded to be honest. I, I do have a rare occasion where I will receive a comment or a message of somebody being less than kind. Yeah. But for the most part, I don't know the space that is around me is incredibly nurturing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's reflective of the way that I share or the way that I write. Um, but people seem to be very respectful of my space. And I have learned this year um, that when I'm feeling overwhelmed with it, when I'm feeling like people are requiring a lot of support from me, that I do have the ability to step away. I get to say when I can't support somebody. And I've been a lot better at doing that this year. It's been really hard for me because in the early stages of my grief, I didn't feel like I had a lot of support. Yeah. So when someone messages me and says those words and says that they need help, I really want to be there for that person. Yeah. But if there's too many of those happening at once, or if there's one that just feels a little too similar to something that I went through, um, I have been getting better at stepping away and saying that I can't take that on right now. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's like, you've got this like delicate balance of like, so inclusive, but so boundaried. And that's the difficult part because all I want is for my space to feel inclusive. I want if I want it to feel like anyone and everyone is welcome. And at the same time, I do have to have boundaries. I do have to in some way protect my own grief. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an example of me learning how to mother my grief. Yeah. That's me learning that I have spaces that I can move into and spaces that I can't. And sometimes that's followed with the word yet. Um, but I think that it's a really good indication that I'm growing in the right ways in my grief when I'm able to say, I can't take that one on yet. Yeah. Yet. Um, right. Yet is one of the most powerful words I think that we have. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I, I also do love how you said about, you know, growing in your grief, because I just sit here and think like, how, how hopeful is that? You know, that like, it's not about, you know, grief never, ever, 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 ever goes away, you know, but there, you know, the hope is that you can grow in your grief and, and you do morph into different versions of yourself. And, oh yes, you absolutely, <laughs> there, there are so many different versions of me that have, happened over the years, it feels almost exhausting. Um, and I, I'm this, this aspect of growing in your grief and learning to find happiness again, which I absolutely am. I'm so careful around the way that we talk about this 
because I want my space to feel so inclusive of everybody in every stage. I'm so careful to let people know that it's okay if you have not found happiness in your grief and it's okay if you have not channeled it into something outside yourself. It's okay if that grief is still very, very heavy and that you have not found meaning. Yeah. All okay. It's okay. And I, I, you know, again, I, I, that's exactly how it feels, right? It's that notion of both and, and, and like you said, you're not black and white. And I think you have created a space that it's like, come as you are, stay as long as you want. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it's such a powerful space for a lot of people who have nowhere to belong. I mean, that would be, that would make me so happy if, if people felt like they didn't resonate anywhere else, but they did with me, um, that would feel like I have accomplished something pretty wonderful. Well, like, I mean, I mean, I'm just one person, Katie, but like, I'm certain that that's what you're accomplishing because like you just, you, you see the comments and what you're doing and, and just the space. And, and again, your writing is so like, you're writing from your heart. Like it's, you know, I wonder how much of it's even thought in your head. Is it just, it must just pour out of your heart what you write. It's, it's funny. The, as I said a little bit before my writing has changed, um, and it changed a lot this year. And there was a marker in time uh, that every mother will relate to when my kids went to school. <laughs> and I had some time. <laughs> let's not let's let's not uh, gloss that over. It's not like all of a sudden my creative juices started flowing. I got some time, <laughs> which not every mother has, we don't, I'm very lucky that my kids went to school this year in September. Um, and my youngest was able to attend daycare. So all of a sudden in September, I felt a shift. I had time uh, to, to reflect. I had time to sit down and drink a coffee, hot coffee, right? It was hot. Um, and I'm not saying that I just sent my kids to school and sat down and and all this, these words came out of me. But after a few months of them in a routine of being at school and me in a routine of figuring out who the heck I am again, without my kids at home, I was able to start looking at the story aspect of everything. And I think that's when my writing started to change more towards storytelling. Yeah. Um, and it just, it feels really good. And sometimes it takes me a long time to write something, but I will say for the most part, I wake up and I have a thought in my head and I pick up my phone in the notes section and I start writing and it just, yeah, it just comes out of me. Like it's been waiting all this time. Wow. You know, it just, it goes to show like grief needs space and time. It does. It really does. It does. And I think society and culturally, there's so much pressure to put it into a box or put it on a timeline or all of this, that comparative suffering, comparative grieving, but it's just, it has its own timeline and it has, it needs space and it needs a lot of space. It needs a lot of space. And I think that even when you say that grief 
needs time. For me, I waited six years before I had the time that I actually needed. And it wasn't just that I needed six years to pass. It was that I needed six years to pass and my kids to go to school and be able to sit down on the couch and breathe out a sigh of relief and say, what about me? Yeah. That's what my grief needed. And like, thank you for sharing that because I think, you know, when we talk about mothering ourselves through grief, I think, especially as, you know, mothers, it's like, we have all this pressure on ourselves to meet these expectations and exceed them and and to do all the things and forgetting about all of the other responsibilities we carry that sometimes we just don't have time. Yeah. I think about my mom a lot. Yeah. Um, When we were growing up, I remember feeling like my mom was frantic some days. I remember like visually being like, oh, my mom is just like, she can't, she's like buzzing. Like she can't stop. Like what's going on with mom? Why is she always turning the music down? Like, why does the TV need to be off? Like why all of a sudden do I have to pick up that toy over there? And I think about her all the time and I'm like, oh, I get it. There is so much going on in your brain that you literally can't handle that one extra thing that's happening externally. And that's where I got to, I mean, that's where every mom got to this year. Like, oh, there was so much happening and we were juggling so many things this year that me turning down the stereo in order to pour cream into my coffee was a requirement because yes. it, I just couldn't take it. Yes, it was, you know, and I think, and I mean, this is what I, I would want, you know, your opinion on, but I would imagine those are the lessons from Kenzie where she takes what she needs when she needs it. She absolutely, yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> right. You know, and it's like, just that's, she's, she's in every moment in her body. She is. There's a real freedom with Down syndrome that sometimes I look at her and I think, you know what, like if only we could all live this way, if only we could all say what we feel when we feel it, do what we want when we want it, wouldn't that be incredible? Yeah. That is Kenzie and that is Down syndrome. Yeah. You know, just freedom. And I feel like that is like, like, I feel like that's since following you, that's the voice that you've given to Down syndrome on behalf of Kenzie, you know, I, I I never feel that you're speaking for her. Thank you for saying that because that's, I do have I, I, a real worry that, yeah. that I'm taking her voice. No, um, I, I I don't feel that way at all. But I just it's kind of like the way the way you describe or show her. It's it's her. It's not your version or how it is impacting you. It's like in a way, it's like Kenzie's world. I'm so thankful that you said that. There's a real, as I learned about ableism this year, you know, as some of us dug into ableism this Ugh. year, um, it's it's a real thing that ableism is part of a parent's mentality who parents a child with special needs. Yes. Because you're centering yourself within your child's life. And I I know for a fact that I have done that through Instagram. I have done that. Um, where I've centered my own feelings or my own emotions around my daughter's diagnosis. I don't have a disability, but I hope in the future, and I can, I hope I can continue to speak about 
life with Down syndrome as I see it within our family. Yeah. Not as I see it for myself. Right. And I think, I mean, I think a lot of us like have, you know, Shelly Moore has been just prolific. Oh. oh my gosh. And the two of you, like, I wasn't kidding, kidding. I was like, the two of you have just, I have learned so much. Oh, thank you. I have learned so much from Shelly in the last couple of years. What a rock star she is. She she is like, you want, she's changing the world. And, you know, I don't think, I don't think until this year, I understood ableism with, you know, 10 years of social work, formal education. I did not understand ableism. And then, you know, Shelly Moore starts talking and then you did your interview with her and then you guys are sharing more. And I'm like, and then Brittany Caffett, as you know, from Saskatoon and, you know, these voices like, and I, I will, you know, the thing, my, one of my favorite things that Brittany taught me was when she was doing an interview with Henry on a local TV station. And she goes, no, no, I'm, I'm Henry's voice until he has his own. Yeah. So right now, right now he's a baby. So I'm going to bring him until he can do these himself. And I'm like, there's another lesson noted. And that's something that I really had to reconcile with this year, um, was the fact that I can storytell until Kenzie is able to do it for herself. Um, and there was a lot of things that I was doing that I've reflected on over time. A specific instance I can think of is being at the park with her in Woodford one day and somebody asked if they were twins, which they're not, but it's funny because Kenzie is a twin. Um, and I just laughed and said, nope, they're not twins. And then I just let them keep playing instead of qualifying but she has Down syndrome, so that's why it seems like she's the same age as him. And she's going to talk, but, you know, she she isn't yet. And, and, and when I have done that in the past, I have qualified and justified. And that day, I didn't follow up with anything. I didn't explain. I just let it sit. And I let Kenzie, you know, climb what she was able to climb. I didn't help her climb something that she wasn't able to climb in order to show the mom that she was working on something, you know? And I realized that day walking home that all of this time I've been sort of advocating and asking people to teach their kids kindness and, and, you know, reflect on, you know, how you can parent with compassion and empathy. And I was like, Oh, that's for me too. Uh, Yeah. You know, she was getting judged by no one, but her own mother. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard to look at. Thanks for tuning in today, folks. You're listening to Highlighting Real with Lisa Gregg. Today's guest is Katie Jamison, and they're discussing all kinds of things from ableism to parenting in a pandemic and, of course, grief. Uh, You can always follow us over at Spotify or subscribe at Apple Podcasts. Uh, Leave a comment. Give us a rating. We love all that kind of support. Uh, Or just tune in wherever you find your podcasts. We appreciate it either way. And now back to our conversation. And that was really hard to look at. Oh, you know, we as mothers just need to always practice the dose of of self-compassion because it's these reflections that make us better people. Yeah. But if you don't have self-compassion to go to those places where you're like, holy shit, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and then, you know, the world stays the same way, but how, how empowering to not qualify that experience. 
I think 2021 might be my year of not offering the follow-up. Oh, (laughs) that's like a slow clap right there. You know, like, I don't think I have to follow anything up anymore. (laughs) You don't, right? It's like, I'm sad. Let people ask more questions if they want, but you're right. We like, we follow up with justifications for everything, Mm -hmm. everything. Yep. We do. You know, it's, it's even, you know, yeah. Like now of course my own head's spinning about, okay, how do, what can I improve on as parenting? And you know, it's also like kids at the park, like how quickly adults intervene. Yes. When it's like, let the children figure it out. If no one's in harm's way. Yeah. Let, let them figure it out. Yeah. Which is hard for any oh. parent, not just a parent of a, of a child with disabilities. That's hard for, I constantly, constantly hold myself back from walking over at the park and telling Wally to include Kenzie constantly because that's not for me to do. No. I can do that at, at home and I can have those conversations and I can teach him that including her is important but then I have to let them put it into action. Absolutely. And also probably, again, at the same time, respecting the fact that Kenzie may not want to be a part of that activity. <laughs> That's the other, my friend, my friend, Rebecca blew my mind the other day. And when she was talking about, you know, it's still ableism if you're trying to include Kenzie and she doesn't want to be included. I was like, <laughs> right? it's like, but why wouldn't she? It's like, because she's doing her own thing. Like she's happy where she is. She's sitting over there in the sunshine playing with rocks. She's good. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I, I think, you know, ableism is such a, a complex term that I just think, yeah, I, I think it's so um, misunderstood. And I think, you know, we follow it up with the year of... Um, the much needed anti-racist work that I have a lot of work to do personally on as well. And it's just, you have to go to those dark spaces that exist within your mind and get real about what your thoughts are, where you're at, how the system is going against all of these different individuals and what you're going to do about it. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of learning left to do a lot of learning left to do. Um, and it's one of those things, the more you dig into it, the more you're like, oh, I have so much work to do. Yeah. And that, that is across the board. That's in my grief work. That's in disability learning. That's in anti-racism work. That's across the board. I think we've all been told pretty clearly this year that the work never ends. And like, that just could not be more true. Right. And, and it's like, okay, we've been told this for years and have chosen not to hear it. And so now it's like, okay, so many of us have said, okay, we're listening, but I agree with you. It's like, okay, now, now we have to forever do the work on all of these areas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's sort of, I mean, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. Um, And the more you see it, the more it's revealed everywhere, really, which I think is what becomes overwhelming for people is they start to see it everywhere and they start to turn it off. Yeah. If I can, you know, relate that to all three of those categories, grief, disability, racism, 
you see these things every day in life. And yet when they become too hard to look at, people often decide to just turn away. Yep. And, you know, I think what we're pushing ourselves to do this year is to sit in how uncomfortable it is in the mud yep. and hope that other people start sitting down with us. I mean, that's all I wanted in my early years of grief. I just wanted people to sit down on my level yeah. and see what was surrounding me. Yeah. Um, there's just nothing more powerful than being seen. No, we need to be acknowledged. We need to be acknowledged. And I think the other part too, is like also acknowledging our privilege when it's a certain area that we're not impacted by. You know, so as a, a white person, me, who is not a bereaved mother and is not raising a child right now with disabilities, I have the luxury, I guess, when I'm tired to turn things off. But the reality for most and many in those situations who are living with, you know, checking one, two or three of those boxes, like you don't get to turn it off. You know, and so when people are just like, I'm so tired or I'm doing the best I can, it's like in that statement alone, we need to recognize our privilege in that too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Katie, I just think like just the work and the, the just the voice that you're giving to people, like, you know, going back to you having such a safe space, I think for people who like want to do better and they want to sit in the mud, you know, with, but they just don't know where to start because people are also afraid of screwing up. Oh, absolutely. Right. Doing the wrong thing, looking stupid. And I think the other part of the space that you've created is that like you said, you're leaving a trail for people. I specifically made a card, uh, in my grieving gifts. Oh good. I want to talk about these. The first card that I made says, I don't know what to say, but I really want to try because everybody who has a knee-jerk reaction to grief says, well, I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Maybe I shouldn't say anything. I'm going to give them space. I'm going to wait a little bit. Let's give them a month or two. It'll be a bit better then. And then I can approach and see what they need. And personally, I was so angry at those people. I was so mad at the people who didn't try. Um, and so I made this card and the purpose of the card is to confess to the person who's receiving it, that the person giving it has no idea what to do, but that they want to be there anyways. Yeah. Like what a, what a powerful statement. That's like, you know, in any, any griever, you know, that I've spoken to and it's like, what's the best thing? It's like, sometimes it's just acknowledging the fact that you don't know what to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's really powerful when somebody can look at you and say, I recognize that you are in an incredible amount of pain and I don't know how to deal with it, but I'm going to sit with you. Mm -hmm. Seen and acknowledged, right? Yeah. 
Um, so you did, you brought up about your grieving gifts, like your, your cards and your pins. Um, tell us about these, Katie, and kind of where, you know, where they came from or how they came to be. I had the idea of the pins, the enamel pins, for about a year before I made them. I always had the thought that I wanted to be acknowledged as a bereaved mother, especially after Lachlan passed away and I didn't have the twins. Nobody passing me on the street knew that I was a mom because I didn't have a baby with me. And I thought about that for all of the other people in the world. You know, maybe there's a wife that no longer has her husband or a grandma that no longer has her grandson. Um, And I thought, what if there was a way for people to express their grief without having to do it verbally? Because doing it verbally is sometimes really scary. So I came up with the idea of these pins that you can wear on your shirt or your jacket. Some people put them on their bags or on their purse. I know I have some friends who work in healthcare that put them on their lanyards. Um, A mom just reached out to me. She put one on her diaper bag when she went to go deliver her second. And she said it started some really great conversations with her care team about already being a mom and being a bereaved mom and that it altered the way that they cared for her. And I just thought that was so powerful because she didn't have to say anything. It just started the conversation. Wow. So truthfully, the grieving gifts aren't so much for the griever, but they're for everybody that surrounds that person. Yeah. They're, they're so beautiful. And thank you. They are. I've, I've, you know, purchased them to give as gifts and it's just, grief is so awkward for everyone else. I'm going to say everyone else because for the griever you're in it and quite frankly, discomfort's not your problem. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, and it, it is, it's just that, that way to acknowledge it and just to, to start conversations. And I mean, silence as much as sometimes we're always like, we need silence. I, I, I often feel that silence can just be so damaging to grief. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's really hard. I can look back to my early days of grief and I can see how unapproachable I was. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through, I won't say it's the worst kind of loss, but it's the worst kind of loss that I can think of. Yeah. Losing my child. And it's really hard for someone to know how to support a person going through grief that is so unimaginable. Um, And I just felt it was really important to offer people who are supporting grievers the opportunity to bridge a gap, Mm. Um, the opportunity to have a way to step back into that person's circle because when you are grieving, you do close things off. You do sort of protect that grief and hold it close. I almost say I hoarded Lachlan's grief for myself. I wanted everything of him to be mine. It's all you had. It's all I had. And so I really do see these, these, these grieving gifts as a way for somebody to step back into a trusted circle with somebody who is grieving. Oh my God. How beautiful, Katie. 
Right. <laughs> it, how, like, again, like, it's just like all of the world's colliding of just like that inclusive space again, right? But it's, it, it's a welcoming way to get back into that circle when it is. It you, is. Don't, you don't know how to step in. And it's just a yeah. way of saying like, hi, you belong here too. Yeah. Oh, well, and again, I, I will also like link everything to, um, the grieving gifts because I just, when you don't know what to say or you want to get a little something, but you're not sure what I, I do think that they're like the perfect thing for a very difficult time. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really do. I've started, um, I've started making prints of some of the, the words that I've written, um, and people, it's just like, people love them. And it makes me feel, I don't know if I'm surprised, um, but I'm very happy Wow, that people, you know, love them so much. And it's just, it really is an incredible thing. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Oh my gosh. Don't apologize. <laughs> um, but it's, amazing that words that were inspired by Lachlan are hanging in other people's homes. It's like, what a part of his legacy, hey? Yeah. You know, it's, you know, often, um, like I would say to, to parents grieving a child, it's like, you'll spend your whole life creating their life in a way because they didn't get to live it. Yeah. to its fullest capabilities, you know? And it's like those words, yeah, you're right. They, they did come from Lachlan. Yeah. They absolutely did. And, and so he's very alive on the walls as art. How so cool. <laughs> so magical. Like that's, yeah. wow. It's like, I even like wrote down this. I think this is from, is it maybe your yesterday's post Katie, but I wrote it down and this actually speaks to you. We were talking about this last year and your change and it was your last sentence. And it just said, the change in me is hard earned lost moments exchanged for memories now dipped in gold. Yeah. And you know, like I shared with you, like that is like, takes me to like, of course, one of my, you know, top two favorite quotes ever. And the one of Brene Brown's where it's the middle is messy, but it's also where the magic happens. And I'm like, you have found like bits of magic and complete devastation. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Yeah. There, there's so many. Time, <laughs> take your time. Um. There are obviously so many heartbreaking things about him not being here. But I have found a way to weave parts of him into the story that's going on for our family. Oh. And as a complete and total outsider, Katie, I think that that is so apparent that you've done that. I, it's like, there's, you know, your, your social media page is like, 
it, it's just like a braid of all of you, you know, like there's just, you're all just like woven like in and out of it. And it's, oh, just, that's so nice to hear. Yeah. This delicate balance of everyone. And, you know, Lachlan definitely being the strongest part of it. <laughs> and that's, and that's not even about like, you know, me saying about balance. It's just, but how could he not be? I mean, he came first. Did come first. He came first. Yeah. You know, he's, he, he made you a mama. He sure did. Yeah. And he's really altered the way that I parent my other kids. I bet. You know, I probably wouldn't be the kind of mom that I am today if I didn't have the experience that I had with him. Yeah. He de- I mean, just having Lachlan in our lives changed the way that we welcomed disability into our life. Right. You know, it's, he's a pretty cool little kid. (laughs) Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. Just a change maker. He's such a change maker. It's funny because over time, I realized that life's guarantee isn't that happiness is owed to us. It's not owed to anybody, but happiness can be found in all the places you were told it wouldn't be, but you went searching for it anyways. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So I just feel like in those boring everyday moments that I would normally gloss over, if I can look deeper and go searching for the outcome of happiness, knowing how my story of motherhood started, I can continue a legacy for Lachlan. Yeah. Wow. Katie, I, I'm going to leave it there (laughs) for the, like the formal interview. You are not. I, (laughs) I, I think we, we leave that the the formal part of the interview. I think we leave it at lessons from Lachlan because I think that that's so powerful, oh, and we'll just thank build. You. Yeah, we'll build his legacy. Um, and then the next part is I just want to transition into a bit of that deep dive rapid fire round. Whenever. Oh you my think. god! It's, it's not. Don't worry. It's like <laughs> it's it's like the first things that come to mind, and nothing to. Okay too overly complicated and like I said my rule of people is if you don't have an answer then you you pass like okay there's just no overthinking that's the only rule I love it okay hit me are you ready I'm ready what is something you want listeners um and your followers to know about you I have a deep deep love for chips it's a problem do you have a favorite kind? <laughs> oh, um, okay. This is this is dirty. Um, cool Ranch Doritos, <laughs> and I recently discovered spicy dill pickle. I've heard of this flavor. It's a problem, um, but I'm embracing it. Yes, me, me, and all my chip glory. I'm embracing it. <laughs> Life, you know, like happiness and the little things. Oh yeah, chips. Yeah, so good. What is something you are not very good at? Reverse driving. <laughs> like really bad. 
So, like, you never parallel park then? I can parallel park, but if you have to parallel park and then keep backing up to the car that's behind you, no. That's funny. I will hit the curb every time. I cannot do it. This is That's a good one. <laughs> um, what's the number one sign that you're overwhelmed? <sighs> I was like... Uh, well, there's a handful. <laughs> Number one sign that I'm overwhelmed. I cry. Okay. You get to have brunch with one famous person. Who is it? And is there a question you'd want to ask them? <laughs> I'll give you my answer, but you can't put, include it. <laughs> Come on. This will be good. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. Oh, great. Will you have a one-night stand with me? (laughs) Ryan Reynolds is a babe. What a babe! Also, super funny. Yes. And, like, the way he loves on his wife. Right? I know. They're just, like, stop it. That's okay. I love, I love your brunch one. That's staying. Um, Sorry, husband. I mean, he knows. You know what? Andrew, no. Andrew's like, oh, Ryan Reynolds? Yeah, yeah. You'd be able to answer this for you. <laughs> um, what is one habit you have that makes your day easier? I work out in the morning. Good for you. I didn't used to. That's a new habit. Thanks, 2020. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> if you could turn back time and talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell her? Trust your gut. Mm. How would your parents or grandparents describe what you do for a living? <laughs> I don't think my mom could describe what I do for a living. <laughs> uh, they would say, I talk about stuff and I take photos. I love it. What's your favorite order at your hometown restaurant? Well, this is hard because we own restaurants. Well, then you should absolutely say your own. If I was eating at the McKenzie Room, I would be having the showstopper salad. And if I was eating at, say, Mercy, I'd be having the barbecue bolognese pasta. Oh, that sounds good. It's really good. That sounds good. And again, if you own a restaurant, I mean, you should pick your own. It should be the best. I was like, is that icky? <laughs> No, it's called promo. Um, what's the last thing you binged on Netflix? Bridgerton. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I was sucked right in. People took oh. up to it, and I was like, let's promenade. I'm in. Oh, good Lord. That gentleman of a main character. Hubba hubba. Right? <laughs> I didn't watch it, but like he was on SNL, wasn't he? And he was like singing too. He can I'm do sorry, it all. What? Yeah. I, I will go find that immediately. <laughs> Google, like, is it, um, what is his name? Gene LePage something. Reg- anyway. I can't remember. He, anyway, if you say singing, you can find it because he blew it. He broke the internet because everyone's like, really? He can he sing? sings too? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Let's get brave. Doing something with our whole heart when you can't predict the outcome. What's the bravest thing you've ever done? Oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> so many things I probably. What's the bravest thing I've ever done? That's really hard to like look at something you've done yourself and call it brave. 
Can I think about it for a second? Yeah. And can I like break the rules and ask you a question? Yeah, please. Um, what was it like having more kids after you lost one? Oh, that's like a whole other podcast. Yeah. I, I just, I guess maybe like that's just where my heart went with Bray. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's really funny because like, I didn't even go there. Like my brain didn't even. Yeah. I was just there. Um, I was like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe like talking in front of a crowd. That's brave. (laughs) But you're right. Having kids after loss. That's pretty brave. That's very brave. Um, it's, it's hard to describe. Um, I was so ecstatic to be pregnant with the twins Mm -hmm. and have them. (laughs) And then I suffered such devastating postpartum depression when they arrived. And then I was really happy to be pregnant with Woodford, but it was maybe the worst pregnancy I'd ever had um, with trauma Mm -hmm. uh, and carrying a singleton again. Yeah. And then when he was born, it was the happiest I've ever been. Yeah. Um it's been like such a roller coaster of emotions having them and every day they heal me and break me. Oh, that's motherhood. Yeah. Wow. Motherhood's brave. I should have just said motherhood. <laughs> Whatever. I think there's so many things you do that's brave. Um, I feel like my rapid fire is pretty crappy. <laughs> I think it's actually like really in depth in the whole point of it. So I think you're hard on yourself. Um, when you're having a bad day, this is the last question. So when you're having a bad day, what do you do to make yourself feel better? I write. Mm. I write. Yeah. And I pour a glass of wine. Hand in hand. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Katie, that was so, that's it. That was so wonderful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, there we are, folks. Another conversation in the books for Highlighting Real. We hope you enjoyed today's chat with Katie Jameson. Uh, I know I did. I definitely do not know enough about ableism and need to do more work to do better, be better on that. Uh, and I certainly will be uh, making efforts to do that. Probably my favorite part of this whole conversation was Katie's quote, happiness can be found in all the places you were told it wouldn't be, but went searching for it anyway. I am going to be thinking about that quote for quite some time, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again for tuning in today, folks. Uh, you can always follow along on Spotify or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your, um, you know, podcast action and feel free to share the word with your friends we appreciate that my name is ross nielsen i produce the show and the theme song is also written by yours truly ross nielsen for yesteryear productions until two weeks stay good i'm not stupid you're recording (laughs) are you done